say we're going to the theater, but we have to define because we're either going ah. to the school theater, and mm-hmm. we both work at the mill theaters across the street. My second home. Yeah, as it is to anybody who comes to comes to stay. This is the Campus Report from the Wine Milbank Podcast Studio in Milbank, South Dakota. I'm your host, Craig Weinberg, um, sitting with some almost, no, no, newly, newly minted graduates. Uh, Alex Papowski and Sean Stemsrud have decided to join us in studio uh, together because life's better together. <laughs> Welcome. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. How you guys doing? Doing well. I'm doing great. So, Alex, you yeah. uh, say something so people know who you are. I'm Alex. Hi. Hello. Excellent. Sean. I'm Sean. There we go. For those that don't know your voices, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Uh, Alex, where were you born? I was born in Littleton, Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Sean, where were you born? I was born in Havarsk, Russia, actually. Alex, how long have you lived in Mm, 2006, so about 12 years. Okay, so the bulk of your schooling. Yes. I moved here <laughs> like right, when I, right when I started first grade is when I moved here. So, And Sean, Russia. Yes, I, I've i lived here for about 17 years. Um, I was adopted <laughs> okay. at like a year and four months. Okay, so you're... Uh, all right. Awesome. And so, yeah, I've spent basically all my life here. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, how was... Let's see. You, have, you guys are same class. Did you... Like, were you friends throughout the entire school? We, well, we actually just told this story the other day. Yeah. In first grade, we were rivals. Uh-oh. Yeah, and we were then, pitted against each other. Like, and, like, like, hated each other kind of rivals? Not so much hated each other as much as More just, as like, competition. Competition. Ooh, who was Sometimes better? friendly, sometimes not. It depended on the day. Uh, was this competition in athletics or just in friends just and in, anything? Yeah, more in academics Being than anything. in school. Hot dog yeah. eating contests. <laughs> just <laughs> doing better on the little papers that they had you do in first grade, you know? Spelling tests or yeah. just... And then in second grade, it switched around, and we've been best friends ever since. Yeah. That one grade, huh? Yeah. It was weird. I think it. I think Sean didn't like me at first because I was new. Oh. Mm, I think it was more that I... It wasn't that... It was. It wasn't the newness of each other. It was more. Um, we were a lot alike, and so I think we were both trying to fill the same role in the class. Yeah, that's probably a better analysis. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you sound less like a bad person. So we'll go with that one. So were you like through elementary? Would you have had the same teacher? together they each year kept or did us that... separate as much as they could we oh, had we knew. had each other we had each other the first year and then the second year they no. learned first yeah. grade and third grade were the only year we were in the same class and i don't know how we grade, got back there in third grade it was a trip for everybody involved <laughs> <laughs> and then that teacher moved away that's right so huh. take that how you will and so then they separated you again oh great look what they did right are there other classmates that uh, you kind of followed with you that you guys are close to mm. that we don't care enough now to have in the room? <laughs> it seems like people have always like it's it's always kind of come and gone. Yeah. Sean and I are the only two that I think have been like consistently really? from the beginning. Yeah. Why? Kind of for the same reason that like he said that we didn't really like each other at the beginning. It's because we're so similar and so we're able to kind of 
roll off each other, mm-hmm. which I think is also a good reason that we're here together right now. Yeah, it's good because I think that even though we're really similar in a lot of ways, we do bring um, we do bring quite a bit of difference to our friendship and a lot of diversity. Yeah. Okay. So both of you are, how do we say this? I don't want to say a theater geek, but maybe we'll go there. Yeah, that's probably the closest, like, stereotypical high school group that you could have put us into. Yeah, aside from music for me. Right. Well, this is true. You kind of are music. But but that falls into the theater world, yeah. the musical thing and in the and They the really collide stage. together. Yeah. When did you guys first? Well, see, you are always behind the scenes. Right, until until last year, because it's my senior year, I finally went up and got on stage and did some stuff on stage. So did it really take them that long to d- coax you out of your hole, or... I kind of coaxed did you myself just out, yeah. Because I, even from, like, starting freshman year, because I had never even gone to a high school play until I still haven't been to a high school play. Oh, that you weren't involved with? Right, because I never went to one before I was involved and then I was in every single one while I was in high school. And so this fall play this year will be the first high school play that I attend in Millbank. This presumes he's coming back. Of course I'm coming back. I'm excited to see it because I haven't seen a high school play since before my eighth grade year. Right. Do you think that it will be a nitpicking scenario where you're like, oh man, we could be doing this better. Oh man, this could be. I feel like. I won't want to be, but I almost feel like <laughs> yeah. I won't be able to help myself. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because I think that it allows us to both be uh, more and less nitpicky because we know how the process goes. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing because like, because I was backstage every time, I'll see everything and be like, I wonder what's going on back there. And probably assuming that things are going poorly backstage because when does it ever go exactly how you want it to? And nearly never. Exactly. And so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see from an outside perspective. And being on the stage the whole time, I don't think I can be nitpicky at all because I think nearly everybody who's going to be on the stage this fall, I've been on the stage with in years past. And so um, I've gotten to interact with them and we kind of know each other's style. And so I don't think it'll be anything super new to us. But it'll be interesting to see just, like I said, from an outside perspective mm-hmm. yeah. for the first time. And seeing a show that we've had that no we don't, part in. Yeah, don't know anything about, hardly. I have difficulty going to events, too, where, mm-hmm. I, where I don't have a hand in the production. Because there is the, always that thought that, oh, man, that shouldn't have happened like that. Right. Or, you know, that cue is not right. What happened there? The mic's not up or... You know, that light could be over there a little bit more. And I have noticed that, like, even when we went to, like, State One Acts this last year, or if I ever, even sometimes I've gone to, like, college productions, and because I did all the sound for Mm -hmm. the high school plays and stuff, and I noticed little things, like, the mic isn't high enough, or just weird little things like that that most people wouldn't think or notice, but I can't help but be like, oh, I want to fix it. I can't. Right. I noticed some of those things, but I really wasn't allowed to touch anything technological unless I was the last one there. Yeah. The bomb is going to explode. Who's here? Sean. Ah, crap. Let it go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh. So, uh, do you guys intend to to kind of still be in the that performancey kind of theater world in school in college? If I can, because I know some schools don't let you unless you're a theater major. Lame. Yeah, I know. And so, if I'm able to participate, I think I will. Well, I, I guess we really should go down the road. Where are you guys going to school? Sean, take it. I, I'm going to South Dakota State University, SDSU in Brookings, South Dakota. Body rabbits. Yep. And Fast I'm, ones. That's right. I'm going to Minnesota State University, Moorhead, in Moorhead, Minnesota, which explained itself in the name of the school. <laughs> One of the coolest mascots I've ever seen. The dragons. Really? They're the yeah. dragons? I guess you, no one can complain about that. No. Like, there's no way you can be offended by that. Now, and I won't lie, that didn't play a small part in me picking the school. <laughs> because when we were touring, this is the cool little story that they told me when we toured the campus. They have this giant metal dragon in the middle of the campus. And the way that they got it was it was some alumni from there, and they had moved to the Twin Cities, and they owned a Chinese restaurant there. And they had this giant metal fire-breathing dragon out in front of their restaurant. And they were closing the restaurant and moving, and they contacted the college and said, hey, we have a giant metal fire-breathing <laughs> dragon. Do you want it? And they said, of course. And so during homecoming, it just shoots flames all the time. And it's awesome. And I just get to see rabbits all over the place, <laughs> even if they're not jackrabbits. That's right. So who's the real winner here? <clears throat> well, there you have it. Um, Alex, what are you going for? I am going for, technically it's the major is called social studies, but I'm going to be a history teacher is the current plan. Why would that change? Well, or, you what? never know. I mean. Come on now. Well, I'm just like, you could take a class and realize that it doesn't fit and then you might change your mind, you know? I guess. Sean? I, I'm going for music education in, with a vocal emphasis for, um, to teach the choir. To be a choir director, hopefully. Where? Like, like would your dream ever be to come back here? Or are you like thinking bigger? Mm, ultimately, my goal, if not professional, would be either college or a bigger high school, honestly. And I think that if Milbank were to like exponentially grow to be just bigger than it is now. Right, right. Oh, what kind of growth, though, are you talking? Mm. Like population or like? Yeah, more population and more, because I feel like the bigger the, the bigger the town and the bigger the school, the more opportunities that you have to do those extracurricular things and kind of take your choirs all over the place and just to teach multiple ensemble mm -hmm. in one facility. So where did the love of that piece of music come from? Mm, this has been my goal for about seven or eight years now since I saw the Millbank High School choir perform actually for the really? first time when I was extremely young. And I had never heard a choir before. And I was just captivated by that sound. And ever since that night, I've been chasing that. Uh, okay, what choirs have you heard now? 
like the some bigs. Like, have, have you? Mm, yeah, I've heard. I've heard like the Eric Whitaker singers who are out of London. I've heard them in Minneapolis, and I've heard multiple choirs, whether they're professional or non-professional, high school, college, just a whole plethora of different ranges of skill levels and voicings. And Do you think you have to be a good vocalist in order to be a good teacher and or coach? I feel like to teach voice individually, that's a major component, but I found it really interesting because there was kind of an article that I was reading that was talking about how if you're an orchestra conductor, you don't necessarily need to know how to play the cello perfectly to explain to that cellist how how you want it to sound. Mm -hmm. And that's the same for all the instruments. And I think it's more not not so much extreme individualism Mm -hmm. in the choir as it is explaining to your ensemble that it's more about the unity of sound. I guess knowing what you want to hear and being able to communicate right, that really that, is the key. That's a big part of it is having that that sound in your mm-hmm. head in your imagination and then conveying that to your ensemble. So do you think that you see yourself, I'm, I'm just thinking down the road, let's say 10 years down the road, Sean runs the choir at some school. Do you think you have like a listening room for you personally to like like to continue that love of really high quality music? What do you mean? Uh like if you had a room similar to the one we're in where it's got some soundproofing in it and good speakers that will play back um like correct recordings. Yeah, I I think that's extremely important. And I think a lot of choir directors, no matter where they are, will attest to that too, that it's very important to listen to your ensemble both live and on recordings Mm -hmm. and also to have the ensemble, whether it's together or whether it's sections or whether it's even individuals, listen to the ensemble that they're in so that not only can the director or the conductor make the necessary changes, but the singers can make the changes also in the ensemble. So how similar would that be to like a football team going reviewing the tape of the game they just played yesterday? Extremely probably similar. Probably the same thing, isn't yeah. it? Hmm. I don't think that there's emphasis put on that at the high school level, be- j- mainly because there's no, there's no infrastructure to even really, or maybe no staff, to record that well. Right. And then have, a, have the ability to process that back and then have a listening session that that would be huge because we we do listen to some of our recordings but it's not it's not in any really professional mm-hmm. recording it's off like a it, camcorder that's <laughs> up in the sound booth during yeah, our concerts or, and, oh man even even this last year um the music department did get a a small zoom recorder mm-hmm. and so that I probably think, helped yeah it helped but it's not it's not really the optimal mm-hmm listening environment that's interesting because i hadn't really put that together till just now that 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 there would be such value in that from the educational side of things right of really working on recording those like doing that well getting the audio proper so then you could go back and really critique because i think it's it's really like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast 
going to the fall play and being like, mm, I think we could yeah. change yeah. that or we could do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that before you get to where you're going to perform that for the audience, you have a chance to turn your ensemble around and mm -hmm. have them be the audience to themselves. Right. And so they can say to themselves, mm, I think I'd like that a little differently or I think I'd like this louder or softer. Yeah. I'd like this to have a different timbre or feel. I've done that in a in, in a church setting with our like our our band that plays. You know, we'll record them all multi-channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we've played them back not not to the extent that I'd like to, but we have the ability and we've done it a little bit where we then play that back through the system and we can mix it live just like they're singing it each channel separate, but it gives them the musicians, the singers, the drummer, all that the the feedback to really hear them doing it right and how it's actually coming across to the crowd and i think that's huge mm -hmm. mm, how do we get that across to the powers that be the powers that be yes yes how long have you been uh fascinated by the history of the world alex that is a good question that i've honestly never really put that much thought into i guess i would kind of almost say always because my dad was always really big into history and he actually he started when he started college he was going for history he mm -hmm. changed his major but he was going for history and he always i mean the history channel was his favorite channel yeah. back when it actually played history stuff <laughs> and so Instead you know i grew up <laughs> grew up learning about all that That's stuff. historical things they're selling yeah <laughs> Uh, grew up always watching all that stuff, and it was always interesting to me. And then I would read stuff, and it was always cool. But I wouldn't say it was ever really until, like, middle school and even the beginnings of high school when I started taking classes that actually kind of started getting deeper into it mm -hmm. that I thought it was really fascinating and it would, might be something that I wanted to do. Because I didn't decide what I wanted to do until, like, the beginning of my senior year. And so it just kind of evolved by itself. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I think a lot of people do think that it is, though, and that's not a good thing. Because you shouldn't have to decide what it is that you want to do forever and ever mm -hmm. before you even have the chance to do that thing, <laughs> you right. know? But I'm curious, though, with the whole, you know, the the push that you instantly, I mean, you're 18, you're done with high school, you have to have your life planned out, you have to know what school you're going to give $100,000 to, you have to know um, all the stuff right now. Right. And it fascinates me that that's so pushed, and you're right, not a lot of people are that solid. I mean, it's rare, I think, to find a, a Sean where this is a... a a dream and a passion right. for years that still has that same fire that, you know, I would be shocked out of my mind if you adjusted that just right. basically mainly because the, I mean, it's not a whim, you know, this is the thing that's been driving you for years. And um, honestly, I wish, I wish that I could relate more to people who, who don't know wh exactly what they want to do. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, as much of a blessing as that's been, it's also been kind of a disadvantage because I've had a lot of friends both in the past and currently that have no idea what they want to do. And I 
I try to help, but I I can't remember what that feels like. <laughs> Lucky. I, I, I do think that is an extremely rare position, which is cool. For sure. Yeah. But I don't think that's normal. And and not not to be bad normal or yeah. you know, abnormal. But I just don't know if everyone has that. And it's awesome when you do. Because theoretically, you're gonna be that much farther ahead early on knowing where you're going right now than the person that needs, oh, we're just going to do our generals this year because we're not sure. Right. And so then they go on to spend a year kind of vacillating and figuring out what exactly that looks like and where they're going to go. And then maybe they change mm-hmm. a couple times. And then is it, was that wasted years? I don't know. Maybe. And was I feel it? like a lot, of, a lot of schools that I've seen and a lot of students that I've talked to around the state and around the country have said that they feel like their schools kind of are pushing them when they don't want to walk, so to say. Like, they 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 don't know what they want to do and they don't know if they're really college-bound, but the, the curriculum is so college-bound-oriented. Mm-hmm. And I think that creates a lot of stress on students who don't know exactly what they want. So do you think that's just a problem with our current education system? That it really, I mean, high school is, it seems as though it's designed to get you into college. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. really designed to be a um, like, like a landing point where you can go up to these stairs and then you have this landing that there's stuff at. Right. And then the college is another set of stairs that might be tall and maybe it's short. I don't know. But it kind of almost feels like you're not quite to the landing point after high school. And, right. I mean, do, do you feel like that's correct? That, that it should be a landing point of some point, of some sense? Or do we need to get everyone up to that next level? I feel like, I feel like some students, if they, they do have that landing point, if, if they're allowed to stop, then they won't start again. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like, to the other extreme, that it wouldn't be good necessarily to just totally eliminate that landing point and make high school and college one continuous staircase. Mm-hmm. If you eliminate that stand, that staircase or, or that, that landing point, make that a, a stop that's maybe comfortable at some level. Right. Maybe not perfect, but comfortable. The ones that maybe wouldn't continue on, do you think that's bad necessarily? Like maybe the them continuing all the way up, they just wouldn't be able to make it anyway. Jeez, I didn't expect to have to think this hard when I yeah. came in, Craig. I feel like it'd be very beneficial to have m- more time while you're in high school set aside to analyze what what your goals are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any goals, to be assured that at this point that's not that's not totally shunned by the education system. Mm. I feel like that would alleviate a lot of stress. Even in if even in some class, if we had even expanded guidance classes where we would have time to just think about what we're passionate about, if we're passionate about anything. I guess my thought on it is like the way that society has been progressing, everything is becoming much more technology-based. And so even at least a little bit of education 
in that regard is important. And I we're starting to catch up mm-hmm. on that. Like there's mandatory computer classes for right. little kids and like we had art and media. And I mean, that's not necessary technique, like technology knowledge, but it's a step up and it's more that we know now because of that. But there's not everyone is going to need to know that because not every job like requires that knowledge at math, but, (laughs) but a lot like the more, I don't know. I don't know how to word this. How many jobs require science? Not many, but they're important ones. True. But I, I, I kind of wonder if you could say that about a lot of the emphasis because it really feels like that education in America today, in kind of the Western world, is pointed at creating a robot that can work at a factory. Not to think out of the box very much. I mean, at some point you're almost discouraged from finding alternative methods of figuring something out. Mm, because some, I mean, so some of the tests, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you guys are right in the middle of it. But some of the thing is you have to do it a certain way. In order to get it right. You might mm-hmm. have the right answer, but you didn't do it the right way. Yeah. And does that become a wrong answer? Because the question wasn't the final result. The question was, do you get the steps right? Right. It's. I think it automatically becomes, I don't know if it becomes wrong, so to say. It becomes imperfect. And I think that. No, but that assumes that their method is perfect. Right. 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 And, and that's, their, on the that, that's, their, that's what their teaching is. Right. And so the theory is, what the way the, way the book says. And the way the test is written is the perfect way. I remember having to do proofs in math. That's what they were called, proofs. And um, Is that like showing your work? Yeah, well, showing our work and explaining it. Mm. Explaining that that we knew accurately the right way to do it. Like what it was that you were yeah. doing, yeah. That wasn't fun. No, and it, di- it didn't allow for any deviance. Well, but at some point you can't have that in math because it's it's really black and white. Well, However, I just had a, every night now, my son, my youngest son, when I tuck him in, he wants to do math problems. And so he says, Dad, math problems. Okay. So just, I'm, I'm trying to get him fast, trying to get him so he can, without really thinking about, you know, simple adding, subtracting things, just, just right. to, just so it's so second nature they didn't think. And I gave him one the other day. Where it was, you know, if you'd taken two here and make it a 10, then it was simple. And then you just know that you added two, take that back away. That's easy. But it was fascinating because he told me how he did it in his head, and it was opposite of what I did. He got to the right answer at the same time. Hmm. But he did it backward from what I thought, which isn't wrong. Right. It's still correct. The answer's right. He got there. He got there fast. But he, he... in his, the steps he went through in his head were different than the ones I did. And I don't think that's wrong. No. Right. But, but I think in a, in a scenario where you're having to show the method that you're taught, that if you do it a different method, that becomes wrong at some level, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. That's... And it's, it's odd because everyone learns differently. Everyone's mind works differently. And so that's why, like the current education system seems so weird because it doesn't work for some people because that's not how their mind works the way that they're trying to get you to have your mind work. But at the same time, that's such an issue because 
if it's the way that like the majority of people's minds work, which is kind of how they seem to be figuring it out. Robots. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's the way that it works, then I mean, it's the easiest. And so doing it another way is more difficult for the teachers because then they have to be able to teach it different ways for different people. And that seems, but do you think that gives the teachers an out? In a, maybe in some, some ways. And part of this, I'm curious if this goes back to our teacher, the structure of teaching could be the problem. Because way back, you know, I interviewed um, Leonard Stengel a couple of years ago. He just ended up, he just passed away a couple, about a week, two weeks ago. Hmm. Um, and he was 90, I think he was 96 when he passed away. Okay. Um, but I interviewed him, it was about a year before that. And we sat down and he went to country school and elementary. And, you know, I've talked to him, I've talked to some other older people that went to country school where every grade was in the same room. Right. And the teacher had to adapt. And... I wonder, and I was homeschooled, and my mom had to adapt to me and my sister because we're totally different people. We think differently. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a little private school for part of that time, and the teacher had to adapt to the kids that were in the room. So I'm curious to know if our current system is more creating reciters of the textbook in teachers rather than giving the teachers the ability to actually think and adapt their method Mm -hmm. to the student well i suppose we'll find that out in just a few short weeks and that's kind of yeah that's kind of the example or the kind of the point that i tried to make with the proofs oh totally yeah yeah Yeah. because they the teachers are held to a very specific standard if they Mm -hmm. don't get a certain level of of uh acumen with their kids and it has to they have to show these steps so then it becomes where you're teaching these steps and not as much the principal more the well here's how to do it this is mm-hmm. the right way right is that do you think that's harming the students maybe in a creative sense oh that's interesting because yeah cuz like they are they are still learning it but not they're learning it the way that they're being told to learn it and that may not might not be how they would learn it if they were to go and try and do it themselves, mm-hmm. which exactly may right. lead them to learn it more deeply. Because, like, for example, I never mind, that was a bad example. I won't go into that. <laughs> I was going to say, with that, too, I think that when you get to that point, it really takes the discovering out of learning. And I think that's what makes learning at least to me, so appealing yeah. is... Is actually figuring it out. Right. And finding ways that work. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there are certain things that you just can't adapt. You can't change. You can't right. change that 2 plus 2 is 4. Right. You can't. Um, you might change how to get blue because you can have a version of blue. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can adapt what makes blue. You might change the way a sentence is structured. I mean, there's still some rules that need to apply, mm-hmm. but you could probably flip-flop some things. And so the, this idea that um, the students are required to learn X only, and it has to be down this path, and the method they use has to be down this path, 
almost goes contrary to every every like new discovery we've had especially i mean in your generation i mean do you guys remember not having a cell phone yeah oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah but when were you i mean do you remember your parents not having cell phones not really i mean they I didn't mean, have you, you would have been young right. right you were young exactly right we were kind of right in that crossroad generation where it was being introduced to us when we were young. Well, you moved in 06? I moved here in 06. The yeah. iPhone was released in 07, so right. BlackBerry was a big deal. Yep. Like that that was mm-hmm. like the, the thing. BlackBerry was it. Mm-hmm. Like 2003, 4, 5, BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Flip phone was still a big deal. Well, 07 is when the iPhone got announced, and that was revolutionary. Right. And now look what's there. In 10 years, 11 years... It's insane the the stuff, the amount of computing power in this stinking little phone here blows away what we had in the 90s. Right. It's nuts. And it can only go up. Yeah. So none of this would happen if the people that thought these up were not allowed to think outside of the box. Right. Right. And so I'm curious to know if, if our current system of... Have, uh, really focusing on you have to do it this method only, this method only, or else it's an incorrect answer. Mm-hmm. Does that stifle the next generation of free thinking, like exploration? Well, I think that if you're an outside the box thinker, you're going to be no matter how like your schooling goes, because those people were all raised in the same education system that we were right. for the most part, and they still have managed to come up with these ideas. So but they maybe, were outside of the of of the circle of the typical student, though. Right. Some of them were the weird kids, like kind of the the outcasts at some level. Right. But if that becomes like normal anymore, like so if then that they're no, a little longer normal, outcast. They're just outcast becomes normal. Right. And then if that's the case, oh, then good. Let's keep the box going. Keep the boring people in the box. <laughs> yeah. And, but like, you need the boring people too, you know? Like, there Kinda has to be drones. a balance. Someone's got to pack the box, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like it's, it's a little almost daunting to take all of this and kind of think about it in our respects because both Alex and I are future educators. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is why it's, this is a fascinating conversation because the fact that you already see some of the peril of having to teach a test, essentially, is really good. Yeah. Because if nothing else, it could give you that step up to go, okay, here's what we have to do, but then here's how we're going to tweak that. And I want to have different a different approach. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you talk to almost anyone on the street and say, who was, who's the mentor in your life? A good percentage are going to be a certain teacher, and most of them tend to be a younger teacher. Sometimes it's more in high school, but a lot of them are more elementary. Um you have that, and sometimes pastors get on the list. But that teacher, sometimes the coach, I had Mr. Shepherdson in uh, Monday for an interview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just having that, that mentoring relationship with a coach is beneficial. Mm-hmm. So how do we, and I had, uh, I was sat in a leadership training a couple of weeks ago, and one of the questions the guy asked, he said, who is on your personal Mount Rushmore? That's interesting. Oh, geez. And yeah. it's kind of a fascinating question. For sure. Because who, who, who is it that is so meaningful in your life that you would want them on that, like those icons in your life that have that personal touch? Now you guys aren't going to sleep tonight. 
Perfect. No kidding. <laughs> and I think that as future educators, we can only hope to provide that for our future students. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you go into it from now, understanding where they may be coming from, that they've been shoved through this cattle line of a, a shoot. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone has to walk through this exact mm-hmm. tiny little hole. If you walk crooked, you're going to be weird. You might end up going to this lane. So here, how do you guys create an opportunity for these kids to really to, to think, to open up your mind to think? I think that it has been kind of shifting more in that direction lately because, like, the younger teachers, they seem to, I mean, you've had, because, like, um, Mr. Miller you had, he's yeah. younger. He Did he kind of allow for more, like, variation? I know he was teaching math, but, yeah, like. Yeah, he was teaching pre-calculus. <laughs> and so there's not really a, a You can't lot really of deviate there it. much. Right. But, but, it, but I, I understand what you're saying. You can, like, you can see it starting now already in younger teachers that are just coming out of college, you can kind of tell that they are trying to break away from the super structure. That's right. They they encourage you to, well, they don't encourage you to go to this place this way. They encourage you to find your way with guidance. Right. Like we're going to show you how to do it. Like what you're supposed, that's kind of, the the framework of how to do it mm-hmm. and then you figure out how to get from A to B but we'll show you the, we'll give you what you need to do it mm-hmm. yeah. and that's like, kind of how it seems to be progressing already and so hopefully that's a direction that things continue to move in and that we can take advantage of right because I feel like that that was true of the younger teachers that I've had they they gave you where you are now and where you need to be, but they they gave you the best route. But ultimately, they said it's as it's up to you how it's up to you how how you get there. Right. Awesome. Yeah. And I I like that when when the things that are counted wrong on the tests aren't so much the process. It's the fact that you were you were wrong. Right. Yeah. And I feel like you have to be wrong so many times to be right do you think being wrong is bad no no you think failure is bad absolutely not you think it's necessary i failed a lot of times i can just say that right now (laughs) alex has witnessed some of them yeah yeah both in the music field and out (laughs) and the reverse is true yeah but i think it's really good to have not only yourself analyze those failures, but to have people who are close to you analyze those those failures with you so that they can also kind of help you. Mm-hmm. But that kind of raises another thing because in and of itself, like we said, failure is not a bad thing. Right. But like school at this point doesn't let you fail, you know? That's true. They don't, they kind of, as much as they try and they guide you on your path that they want you to go on. But like, if you, you can't be wrong, you can't be, I mean, it's not okay to be wrong. No, like you, you'll be wrong and they'll be like, no, keep trying. Like they keep giving you chances, chance after chance, after chance to 
fix your mistake when sometimes if you're wrong, you just have to be wrong. I mean, that's how I feel anyway. If you're wrong, you live with that, that the fact that you were wrong and you move on from that and you learn from that. But sometimes in school, you're wrong and they'll say, no, try again. Do you think this comes from the everyone gets a trophy, everybody wins mindset that's kind of prevailing in our society? Kind of, yeah. And I feel like adding on to what Alex said, sometimes I've experienced that if if you're anything less than the best, then you are wrong in in some capacity, even if it's minute. Like what do you think that stems from? Maybe both the competitive struggle and the need for some people's need for perfection. At, at the student level or at the uh, teacher level? Yes. <laughs> both. <laughs> yes. And to add another layer to that, at the parent level too, because it seems like parents usually want, I mean, obviously parents want their children to succeed as much as they can. And so you see that too, that, the parents don't really let their children fail either. Hmm. And children don't really have the opportunity to really analyze in, in themselves the meaning of success. Because I feel like some, some teachers and some parents say that this is success. Getting the A is success. Living in th- these conditions is success. Whereas the student might define it as something completely exactly completely fulfilling (laughs) yeah a completely fulfilling life when not in those successful circumstances as so they say so okay does all of this stem from a failure at the home at some level then i mean if we're really going to get down to the brass tacks i think it's made to look that way oh you think it's deliberate i well i think that i think that children learn a certain way at home and then they come and then Sometimes they come to school and they say that, well, that's all fine, but that's it's not the mm-hmm. right way. Because mm-hmm. it's different. Yeah. It's not the way. Who do you think should be the final arbiter of what is... You yourself. Correct. Yeah, but a kid doesn't know that. Like, it's just that the parent's job or is it the school's job? I want to say the parent's job, obviously. That seems like <laughs> the right answer. But... To our mothers who are out there listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Children seem to, like now, children are spending more of their time at school than they are with their parents, usually. Mm-hmm. Like, hours. And so, most of the stuff that they're going to learn, even though it should be from the parents, because that's, you know, how it seems how it should be, but most of the stuff that they're going to learn, even, like, life lesson-wise, is also going to come from school. Mm-hmm. And so as much as it shouldn't come from school, that seems to be where it is coming from. So can the blame fall on the school when there are issues? Like, does the school not have a right to say, oh, well, they had a bad home life because of the sheer amount of time Mm -hmm. that's spent at school? I don't know. Because it's not to say that the time that you spend at home isn't also formative to behavior and stuff like that either. I don't know. And I don't want to make the education system seem like the big bad. Right. Because 
going to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, but well, to be honest, I, I would end. rather have you guys be the ones saying there's a problem, so let's get in there and fix it. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that I know better than the school system, but... Do you think a parent might? Yes. In some circumstances, yes. I wouldn't say all, but a good number. You wouldn't say all just, just as a safeguard? Well, Or I is mean, there an instance you're thinking of? I feel like not all parents, but some parents, some parents will sit here and say that my children are being taught right or they are creating problems with my kids, whereas some other parents will say that my children are becoming very successful and they're learning the right things, life lessons. Do you think position has anything to do with that? Define position. Uh, maybe status, community status local connection to certain things people it could but again it's a case of not every time mm -hmm. but maybe the majority of the time you know or maybe not even a majority but but some a, a, yeah a portion of the time it could a portion nice would you like a small portion <laughs> or a large portion well, this got deep fast. I yeah, like it. No yeah, kidding. really, really deep. <laughs> this is fascinating. I love having deeper conversations with younger people because it shows that you guys have the ability to think, and that is extremely important. Right. And that's what I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, I, as a, well, when I was younger, and still now, honestly, I tend to prefer conversation with old people, mainly because they've been through lots. Mm -hmm. And I learned one thing several years ago that I try to implement, but I don't always, but I try. It is far better for me to learn from their mistake than from me having to make it. I like that. And so if I can see what they did, and always when couples are married 50 plus years, I always want to know why mm -hmm. and how. Yeah. Because that's rare in today's society. Right. And I intend to be married until I die right. to the same lady. That's my goal. And I went into it knowing that. So there's no option for me. But that's not the case in our society. Right. And so I'm always curious to know what, what these older people do. And sometimes it's funny and cliche, the stuff they do. And right. Um, almost always the ones that matter, that really think about it, their responses come back to, you basically, you put the other person first. And if you think about that, if I'm putting my wife first and she's putting me first, you both kind of benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I always want that wisdom from the old guys, and I love the passion of the young people. Mm -hmm. And so that's where when you guys are willing to think these things through and maybe get it wrong, that's okay. That's the whole point of thought. Right. Because you might get it wrong. I like that. What other problems can we fix? Favorite movie? Alex. Ooh. Because now, one, one thing we haven't delved into much, this is a theater club now. Absolutely. So we, we're today in the campus report, August 15, we've been in the theater world. So- you are talking to two movie aficionados. <laughs> we are avid collectors of movies. And I think, well, especially growing up, especially in high school, we've, we've had two different types of theater. Oh, easily. Because we, we always say we're going to the theater, but we have to define because we're either going ah. to the school theater. And we both work at the mill theaters across the street. The movie theater. The movie theater. My second home. <laughs> yeah, as it is to anybody who comes to, comes to stay. What? Comes to stay where? Is this like a creepy horror movie? No, it's 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 <laughs> welcoming. It's true. <laughs> it is. It's incredibly welcoming. And okay. Yeah. 
I, I think that's grown our love for movies and film. Oh, easily. Cinema. Okay, Alex, bet favorite movie. That's of all time. such a loaded now, question. The other day, so the other day when I had old Albert in, when we finished, he walked, he walked out the door, and I saw um, Alex. That you did. Sidling into the theater. That you did. With a satchel of sorts. Of course. And Al- Albert decided to tell me that this was none other than the movie collection. The good book, as I call it. <laughs> you, we both have one, yeah. <laughs> what? I Do you guys it... wander about with, like, collections of film with you? You never know when you're going to want to just pop a DVD in somewhere and watch it. Okay, does does uh, image quality matter? Or is it just the fact of watching a movie? Sometimes. it. Yeah, it depends on what movie you're watching and, like... Most it mostly just depends on what movie you're watching. So can can there's you also watch... different purposes for watching movies? I feel that's true oh, because sometimes, okay. like if we just want to like go to our house or something with a group of friends, and we'll put on a movie just as kind as of like filler, a background activity. Mm. Yeah, but sometimes if one of us just got a new movie that one of us has seen or neither of us has seen, you it's important. You got to sit down, turn the lights off, turn your phones off, and focus. And is this like a 4K theater experience? Like, is that ideal? I, that's ideal. I wish I was able to. Mm. And that's that's like, I told my mom this, and she laughed at me. But I said, if they're like the one extravagant thing that I'm going to have in my house is like a home theater. When that's I'm what an adult. I, that's what I say too. <laughs> and this fits into your your need for a listening room. Like, so I will it just needs I will a big screen. Drive yeah. a bike to work. <laughs> If I can have a home theater. Yeah, I know. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, you've seen Hans Zimmer's studio, right? Oh, my gosh. Like, four fireplaces <laughs> in that yeah. place. Yeah. And just that's monitors nuts. and everything. Yeah. And then you've got the gorgeous projection in front of the right. keyboard mm-hmm. and his mixer. And it's quiet. And I think when I talk about yeah, different purposes for watching, we can watch to be entertained or we can watch because it's a good movie. And I think there's a lot of things that, Really can learn a yeah, lot from that's a whole. Too. There's a whole new can of worms opening up. Good movie, but so, I think but, when, but going to the to video quality, mm-hmm. like if you see a movie in 4K, right? Can you ever watch it not in 4K? Disappointedly, <laughs> it's it's it is a different experience. I've because like I've seen, I just watched um, Interstellar in 4K for the first time. And that was incredible. Oh my gosh. And so I, I've seen that movie just about every way you can watch it. I watched it at the movie theater when it was in theaters. Mm -hmm. I've seen it just on TV. I have it on Blu-ray and I've watched just about every format you can watch it. And it's a noticeable difference. Like some people can't notice it, I'm sure. But being someone who watches so many movies, I, I, You you can notice it. Yeah. And like Sean said, you can watch it another way, but it's not as well, why bother? fulfilling. Well, I think also another purpose to watch those movies is just to like sit back and just watch the because spectacle. it's so beautiful. The spectacle yes. of it. Yeah. And that's the whole quality thing because I think the higher the quality, honestly, I don't want to be that guy, but the higher the quality, the more immersive the experience. Well, yeah. I, I consider movies like the pinnacle of art because like art has reached a peak because it comes to there's visual there's a visual aspect there's a sound aspect there's a writing aspect all these different forms of art come together into one project and i think that's really cool 
And that's why that's a big reason that's why I, I really too. like movies. Movies are like choral music to me because m- music mixed with words is choral music, but music mixed with visual phenomena is just cinema. Yeah. Hmm. And I hold them both in the same capacity. Hmm. Interesting. I saw The Greatest Showman in 4K. Ooh. That's a fantastic movie. And it's fantastic. And in, in UHD, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I went to rent the the Black Panther. Ooh. And it was only available in HD. Uh, I almost passed it up. <laughs> <laughs> the almost. Kid, the kids wanted to see it, so we got it. Okay. But it was crazy because I thought, oh, the UHD symbol's not there. I don't really know if I want to watch it. Because right. The Greatest Showman was stellar. Right. Gorgeous. It was okay. Black Panther. You but, know that it could have been better. Oh, man. That's the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now I have this weird thing that I'm going, if it doesn't say 4K up there, I might pass it up. Well, because I, I just got a 4K TV. Mm-hmm. So that's why I watched Interstellar on 4K was to try it out. And, and now you're burned. You'll right, never go back. Right. And that's going to be a problem because it's going to, not only is mm-hmm. it going to dig into my meager college student <laughs> wallet. Oh, yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> but right. it's going to, I'm going to feel like such a snob because like, Someone will be like, let's, let's be honest, watch Alex. This. You're already a snob. I, I am compared to the the average movie watcher. Yeah. I would say yes. But... I really don't want it to come to that either. Where the quality of the movie depends on the quality of the image. But I think that's but where doesn't it's going. It? And even that's audio, where it's going. Like without good audio, it's really tough to watch a movie. I think audio is honestly more important than the visual. You aspect. try watching a movie with on silent. I've right. done that before. It's nuts. It's not fun. No. And it's also fun to go the other way. Just listen to it. Because then you can and you can really tell. But you can get away with so much visual problem with really good audio. Yeah. Right. And the best place that I've noticed that you can find that is in horror movies. I see. Horror. I'm not a horror movie aficionado. Okay. So. Horror <laughs> movies have some of the best audio design that I've ever seen in Absolutely. movies. Because really? They have to. They have to rely on sound cues almost more than any other. Oh yeah, because they're, they're, you're movie. telling that theater of the mind, right? With the sound mm-hmm. to kind of show, yeah, they looked somewhere weird, but because they looked off quickly to the right, and then there's a bone breaking sound right. that they made with it, broccoli. Well, there's a. <laughs> it makes it, it yeah. makes most of the mood. There was audio a, in the horror movie. There was a movie that just came out recently that I went and saw multiple times in theaters called Hereditary, mm-hmm. and it was a horror movie. Multiple times? Multiple times. Um, <laughs> Sean is smirking Sean in the corner. Sean didn't like this movie I, nearly as much as I did. It wasn't it wasn't my favorite film. <laughs> but you sat through it? Yeah, I Once? watched it. It was it it's a trip. It's a it's it's a very unique horror movie as far as horror movies go. But the sound design in that movie <laughs> was word. incredible because at one point the one of the little girl like the one of the characters is a little girl and she always like clucks her tongue like like that all the time. And then she goes away. She's not in later portions of the movie, but you still hear that noise throughout. You mean she's dead? I didn't want to say it, but yeah. <laughs> um, but do we need a spoiler alert in front of the show? Maybe. Wouldn't be a bad idea. But <laughs> so you, she's like still there and you can hear that sometimes in the movie. But the way that it was in the theater, because I went to Watertown to see it, and the Watertown movie theater has it's full on surround. quite the sound system. And 
Well, it's brand new. It's true. And we were in there alone, mm-hmm. and you would hear it like from back, like your back right, like back in the corner, and you'd hear it. And there were some points in the movie where I genuinely wasn't sure if it was the movie making the sound or if I was just starting to hear things. The sound design was that good. And you deliberately go do this. Absolutely. Honestly, with the people that I was with, it took all of the self-control to, during the movie, not just, like, look off to the side and be like, yeah, <laughs> like, where'd yeah. that come from? And then driving back late at night, oh, sitting no. in the back seat with your friends, that's yeah, always terrible. Like, oh, you gotta watch the horror movies in the morning. <laughs> right, to give enough time to, to recover. Right. Watch a Disney movie or two afterwards, well, and that's fine. not much Alex different, and I, some of them. Alex and I, actually, one of the first horror movies we ever watched was Insidious. Oh, God. And we were camping at the time, and we watched it on a portable DVD player. And in after a, that in movie, a tent. yeah, in a tent, and this was um, at Hartford. No, we were at like your family campsite up in Minnesota, <laughs> wherever it was. Yeah, tents. Whatever. Or we watched a movie spot. in a tent, and you don't watch horror movies in tents, especially when you're like ten years or younger. Oh, and okay, what? Yeah, all the wilderness <laughs> outside, and then it's a great time. Because the the noises continue after the movie's done. So obviously we were terrified. So we went and sat in the car with all the lights on and watched <laughs> Finding Nemo. Serious? Yeah. After that, we had to. Otherwise we needed a we cool down. Have slept. Were there adults around? They were all asleep. Oh. This was late at night too, because again, when you're under ten, you're really, really dumb most of the time, especially oh, wow. without adult supervision. It's about the experience. That's right. <laughs> terrifying experience. Yeah. Perfect. You guys are nuts. It's a learning moment. And I learned never to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite show tune, Sean? Show tune. Oh, man. I don't know. I'm not super, super big into Broadway. What about musicals? Like the movie world? Mm. Or would that kind of be in the same? I'm trying well, to think of what my favorite musical would be. Like movie musical or musical musical in general? Yeah, that's Because those I mean. are two different categories almost. Right. Hmm. I do like Les Mis, but... Classic. Yeah, it is classic. As much of a kind of garbage answer as this is, The Greatest Showman is probably my favorite musical, honestly. It I would totally. So the music is dynamite. It was incredible. Pasek and Paul are the new. What else have they done? Rogers Brothers. Or what or is, is that it? Is that They've like their done, big um, They did a musical called Dear Evan Hansen. Um, they. I'm trying to think. They've done. They've done. Oh, they did La La Land. Yeah, too. they did that. Mm. They were the lyricists for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're kind of talented. Or maybe a little bit. Yeah, maybe just their, a little. Their lyrics are stunning. <laughs> I, because I remember hearing just a little bit about The Greatest Showman well before it came out, and mm-hmm. it seemed like such a strange concept for, especially for a uh-huh. musical, right? And then I heard like one song from it before I went to see it, and I was like, I have to go see this now, and went in completely blind, other than knowing that one song, and it was the song at the beginning, okay, like the introductory song, and. I spent, the first time I saw it, I spent probably a good two-thirds of the movie with my jaw on the floor. I was blown away. Mm-hmm. I was 
shocked. Honestly, the first thing I thought when I was in there was that I wasn't expecting that type of music to be in that. <laughs> yeah. Because for for the period that this movie lives in, you wouldn't expect this type this type of music. No, it was fantastic how they brought modern absolutely into it and kept it just fascinating. Right. And to my little girl, she's four and a half. Loves. She wants to hear this every day. Yeah. The whole the whole album. That makes two of us. She loves it. Yeah. <laughs> Three of us. And I think it just captivated the world, even if it's, it didn't captivate it, the critics. It's it's yeah, and it's strange. Why do you think that was? Because it was fun. Yeah. And movie critics, critics don't, don't like, like things fun. that are fun. <laughs> they don't like anything that they aren't moved by or that doesn't keep them up at night. Yeah. It seems like it's getting to be that way. Unless it makes you think, makes you think. Mm. Critics don't seem to. Or really unless like it. it's so absurdly different. Yeah. Innovative. Because it seems like that's usually how it goes. Critics either they care about the technical aspect of it, mm-hmm. or the thought-provoking aspect of it. And if it's anything else about it that's good, it doesn't really seem to fly. Well, because that always intrigues me. Because it seems like the some of the best movies out there, they don't care about. So right. it's just a little, just a gentleman's club, really. Yeah. Like a smoking, drinking club. <laughs> yeah. That they're in, and and it's you got to buy your way in. It's weird too because I find myself maybe about 70 percent of the time agreeing with what most movie critics say. Really. And I know my mom, for one person, she. She'll go and see a movie just because critics say it's bad. Because she's oh, like, well, it's then probably that good means then. that I like it. <laughs> and it's almost become a habit for me almost to at least peek at what the critics have said about the movie before yeah, I before and I go. Look, like like to, if they say yes, then you're gonna expect more out of it? Or the other way around? Not even so much that it's just, just to like, know. Yeah, just hearing what other people who have I mean, experienced as so many as, films as kind of pretentiousy as it is to say people who know what they're talking about which that is pretentious how, okay. like how much more can they know what they're talking about than Sean or I they or get you? paid yeah exactly that's the only real difference but it's kind of interesting just to hear their take on it before I go mm-hmm. give my own take yeah and I know sometimes because Sean and I are again we're the biggest movie watchers of our friend group and so we'll go see movies and give our opinions afterwards and our friends will always just say that we need to just enjoy movies for what they are and not be so critical I try not to pick apart movies but when there there's some there's some films that I genuinely I try not to prefer. on the first try I usually I you, mean you just shut your mouth during the first one the first time I just try to enjoy it for what it is and then I'm a person who almost has to watch a movie more than once. Okay. At least as long as least if I enjoy it. Hold on. Yes. Thank you. My little girl says, wait, this is the best part. <laughs> it is the best She's part. not wrong. Kiala Settle has amazing vocals. Very true. Um, But... What was I saying? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) No, about watching a movie more than once. Oh, yeah. Like, wait. 
the first time you have to enjoy it just for what it is. And yeah. this is what I've told my mom because she does not understand why I why I buy movies, why mm -hmm. I watch movies more than once, why I have yeah. a movie collection or anything. She thinks it's just a waste of money, which I mean, in some senses, maybe it is, but it's an enjoyable waste of money. Yeah, I I love movies for the experience because I I don't I don't criticize movies as much because I'm I'm really not like judging the living or the dead when, when I see a movie. It's it's all about as many movies as you have in your collection. That's how many experiences you yourself can experience and you can share with others. Like if you're saying you want you want to feel this way and you want to watch this type of movie then you 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 know what what fits that exactly. that void that and you have that day. That's like one of that's one of the main reasons that I think that I buy them is that I can once I have it, I'm also able to share it because I know I've watched just a few movies in the last month or so with people and they've said that there was no way that they would have seen ever watched that movie mm -hmm. unless I was the like unless someone had shown it to them and they ended up loving it. And I think that that's a big deal. That's important. Has has the advent of the uh, Netflix original, the Amazon original TV show model, kind of brought the TV world up into on par with cinema? I am not a TV watcher by any means. I, I'm I'm not talking like cable. I mean, like a Netflix no, original series, or I can't I can't bring myself to sit with a series. I can't do it because I feel like I like my entertainment to have a def like a beginning and an end in one sitting. What about a mini like a mini series like a that, seven part that like, I, like mind hunters in between that I can tolerate. Okay, because again, those I can almost do in a single sitting or maybe like two sittings, and that's more palatable. Mm -hmm. As much as I feel the same way, I could watch The Office forever. Well, there's that. <laughs> See, and I can't, I can't sit down and just watch a couple. But it's episodes. twenty minutes. I know, but I, there's no like end point. I need there to be some sort of resolution. Then watch the whole series. But I, there's only I what eleven do, of them. I eleven can't seasons. Do that in yeah. a short amount of time. Right. You know? Yeah, they're basically just extremely long movies. <laughs> I know, but I can't. I can't do that. The one series that I like that I can watch no matter what is Black Mirror on Netflix. It is like it's just like an anthology series. It's basically like the modern like um Twilight Zone. But it's almost everything on there is like technology based all the episodes and it's fascinating. Cuz the each episode's about an hour long and they have Definite beginnings and ends. So you know. each show is kind of a standalone? Right. Each episode is like a little <clears throat> short film, basically. Mm -hmm. And there is like a little bit connecting some of them. Like they've started to introduce that where like it seems like they might kind of be in the same mm. world or whatever. But they're fascinating. I My mom and I watch it and it's it's a good time. It's It's a good show. But I feel like when I watch TV shows, I like it to be linear. Just like I like okay. my movies linear. Okay. You want but, it to be, but I I continuous. do I do enjoy that when I know that that's what it's going to be. Right. 
So like, like a, a series movies. with that centers around a character, but each show is a standalone. That's okay, or you don't like that as much? Mm, I like I like shows that are linear. That's that is a story mm-hmm. that just keeps progressing. But I also like Black Mirror in the sense that it's small vignettes. Yeah, like but a short film. But a show like The Blacklist, um, where. I mean, it follows characters throughout. Mm-hmm. Each one builds on, but I mean, the, each one has its own storyline within. But then they throw in a couple pieces that connect here. Maybe it connects seven back, and then it's going to connect mm-hmm. two or three forward. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think because I told myself that I can't like sit down and do a series. <laughs> like I I you could just can't. Pro- I'm yeah, I may be able to go and sit down and watch a TV series and end up loving it, but it's bringing myself to that point. Right. Sean, how many movies do you have in your collection now? Like do you have a rough estimate? It's upwards of probably 300 to 315. How many of those did you purchase yourself? Upwards of 275 honestly impressive because there was some that I acquired from this source or that source or my family or friends or do you have an average cost of movie you bought do we want to actually look I've at this d- number I've as much as as, as much as we like quality we are all about that 395 oh rate. absolutely okay and we're say, all about that's that over four grand bit. at 15 dollars yeah like I've kind of tried to figure the math myself and again, mom, plug your ears if you're listening to this part. Beep. But I've usually, like, I calculated it about 10 to 12 because I get plenty that are, like, bargain movies, but I also get mm. plenty that are brand new, like right. 20, 25 bucks. And because in my book, I have... Do you buy the, blue, the Blu-ray? I do if I can and if they're cheap enough. I prefer Blu-ray for sure. Because even the Blu-ray bin's not that much more expensive right. than the regular no, bin. No, it's really not. Five but to seven. What, what I've kind of reasoned in, like recently, is that if it's an older movie, I don't need it in Blu-ray because it's not going to change the look of it that much. But now, what? wait, 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 wait. I coined that as a rule too. It if it's remastered, yes. But if it's because the film quality of that old film is. Right. Almost superior to the digital they have now. Right. But they have to go remaster the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And only some of them have been done that way. Exactly. And if it's in that case, then yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a lot of old movies. Yeah, just to upscale it seems. Right. I mean, and it's not like. Your 4K TV is going to do that anyway. Color might be a little bit sharper, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's not going to change that much. Yeah. But especially like now that like computer effects are in movies now I feel like it's a lot more noticeable the difference between them that's true yeah I and hold so, that as a, a mm-hmm. rule of my collection too is that okay I, is there like a, a year cutoff 2000 early 2000s 2005 okay 2005 to 2008 is the questionable thing but if it's after 2008 I'd like it in blu-ray and if it's before 2005 who cares Doesn't wherever matter. it is I think I can kind of I can go back to this question you asked what my favorite movie was. And I've been kind of thinking about it in the back of my head. There will be blood starring Daniel Day Lewis mm. is I think what mm. I would pick. Really? Yeah. I well no, I was gonna say I own two copies of that movie, but I gave To one what to Sean. end? Yeah. <laughs> I gave one to Sean. 
And well, that because nice. because I bought it on DVD knowing little to nothing about it. I bought it for like two bucks at mm-hmm. Family Dollar. Watched it and I was blown away. And I was like, this is a movie that I have to have in Blu-ray. That's another thing. That's another criteria. If I really, really, really like the movie, no mm-hmm. matter how old it is, I want it in the that best quality too, yeah. I can have it. You know, Law Abiding Citizen was, was similar for me because I, I was waiting. Someone's flight got delayed and I was in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And so I had like three hours to kill. So I went to a movie theater. And I didn't know anything about it. I like Clive Owen. Is he in that movie? I don't know. Anyway, I liked the guy that was the lead. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I went in there. Zero people in that theater. None. Like, oh, great. This is a quality. They didn't even start the movie. This is a big theater in Egan, Minnesota. Wow. So I went in there, and then I was like, well, I've got a few minutes. I wonder what's going on. So I kind of looked back up, and I saw someone poke their head up, and then they like, waved at me, and, oh, <laughs> we got it, we got it. So they started it, and it was the theater that the screen adjusts when it goes to cinema. Oh, yeah. To the uber wide. So you have no excess screen. and You know, that that's a really dark movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's deep. Um, but it that experience of that kind of made that movie be better than it is to me. And so I yeah. going back to the, you know, that you're right, viewing right. the experience. I, it matters. It's and that's, level. I agree that like, cause there was one movie that just came out, uh, a quiet place mm-hmm. and it, it was a scary movie and it's about like these aliens come and they can't see, they can only hear. And so it's this family living and they all use like sign language to communicate and they it's like so they don't get eaten right it's almost a silent movie there's like maybe like 20 lines of dialogue in the whole movie it's it's really interesting but i watched it at home just sitting on my couch with my family and i don't (laughs) think that i got the full experience because there were so many distractions around me and Mm -hmm. i did oh um, because it wasn't audio driven right yeah, and because, honestly, paradoxically, it's all—it's like the less the less audio there is, the higher quality audio system you want to watch it mm-hmm. in because to actually hear the nuance. Thing, it's right. the little things, and so I feel like I need to watch that movie again mm-hmm. in a dark movie theater without any Just distractions, mm-hmm. so that I can fully kind yeah. of appreciate it, or within some really high end headphones. Right, right, that'd be good. Yeah, favorite composer. Alex? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Like movie composer? Sure. It's mm. a hard question. The Schindler's List theme. This is the, my favorite soundtrack of all time. It's gorgeous. I've heard multiple violinists play this. And yeah, it's like Perlman. Nobody can do it like mm-hmm. him, and th- this is him. I recognize the recording. I think I really like as much of like a kind of cop outy answer as this is. I really like Hans Zimmer. Oh man, he is iconic. Well, yeah, yeah. because like it's hard. It's almost hard to explain because like everything is just it's so bombastic and mm-hmm. big sounding, but at the same time you can kind of you can feel like the more subtly kind of emotional sounds to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the Interstellar soundtrack was phenomenal. And all the instruments he pulled into there because he needed exactly the right sound. And Dunkirk, right. Dunkirk had a great oh. soundtrack. Christopher Heavy. Nolan. I am, 
Christopher Nolan is my favorite director, and I'm one of those people that if he if he made a 15 second clip, it'd be my favorite movie because <laughs> I love Inception. That is a nuts movie. That's my favorite movie of all time. Okay. Have you seen the trailer for the Hans Zimmer Masterclass? No. Actually, on Netflix, um, he has his whole concert from Coachella. I saw. I haven't yeah. watched it, but it's in my list. There's. I've started. Wait, no, to it's watch not Coachella. It. It's he's in Prague, but mm. um, it's the way he puts on a concert is just so. The fact that he can put on a concert, right, with is what's extremely well, cinematic he's music, absolutely phenomenal, right. Well, I want to play the, the, um, the master class. The, well, and plus the way he explains the way he writes. Oh man, it's genius. Yeah. Right. So we're gonna listen. This is a masterclass.com. Um, the rules to break. You can go to Hans Hans Zimmer, the Hans Zimmer. All right, we'll turn this up a minute. I just want to listen. It's a couple minutes long, but it fascinates me how he thinks when it comes to this, and it's just crazy. Let's see if this will play. Hello, hello, interweb. Oh, you're not going to... Oh, really? Hold on. <clears throat> Talk amongst yourselves, everybody. Just, just <laughs> automatically playing that video and being like, welcoming to the studio, Hans Zimmer <laughs> in <Right>. Milbank. <laughs> be fantastic. Uh, let's see. We got to keep an eye on time here. Oh, yeah, we probably should wrap here, huh? Well, we gotta, Sean's got to work in yeah. oh, 40 minutes. Yeah, speaking of movies. Oh, well, movies. there we go. All yeah. Right. Okay. I think this is it. Are you ready? Thinking of the music, of course. The music, you're basically having a conversation. It's a question. It's an answer. Ooh, it's a bit of a dodgy question here. I am convinced that I have no idea how to do your movie. It's always a blank piece of paper. I can tell you everything you need to know in one word. Story. All we're doing, set designer, actor, writer, composer, we try to create worlds. Sherlock, it's a score anybody could do. One microphone on a laptop. Ideas are not limited by budget. The creative process takes place in your head. The interesting ideas come from some kid in a garage in the Bronx. You just need to break through the myth that you can't create a great Hollywood blockbuster on an iPad. Because if you're on story, you can do whatever you want to do. It's so him. Oh. I like writing in D, and it's nice that if you go from... It's satisfying for Batman. Four French horns on the right, four French horns on the left, and they're up in a gallery, up way above the orchestra. Two notes, but the amount of expressiveness you can put into them. This is a musician's life. Everybody tells you not to do it and get a real job. When all is said and done, and we've built the highest high-rises, and we built the fastest machines, there's still going to be room for somebody to tell your story or somebody to write your piece of music. The seconds of your life are ticking away. If somebody tells you that there's a rule, break it. That's the only thing that moves things forward. I'm Hans Zimmer, and this is my masterclass. It's crazy that that 
single trailer talked about just about everything we've talked I know, about. Yeah, it's, right. a great, it's a great, it's a great wraparound. That's fantastic. That there, the callback of the day. But so proof positive right there. Absolutely, that someone that successful gets it. The idea that we learn the rules and in in the photography world, which is where I live most of the time. There are certain guidelines you're supposed to know. There's mm-hmm. rule of thirds. There's a whole bunch of things you're supposed to do. Certain lighting's supposed to come from this side and a little bit over here, and you got a key light, kicker, all the stuff. But the best photographers I know, they know these rules, and then they don't. They del- some of them deliberately abuse them mm-hmm. because it gets you a product that you is more appealing. Now, if you want this one product, yes, follow all these rules. When you bake a cake, you kind of have to follow the rule if you want the cake to work. But then it's not yours. Correct. And then the real, if you watch a chef's table, that's another, you probably wouldn't like it. It's mm-hmm. an episodic All show. Right. Uh, but it's a documentary style. Okay. If you've watched the documentary, Euro Dreams of Sushi. Oh, mm. oh fantastic. Hmm. It is an hour or so, hour and 20 yep. minutes. We're a brilliant documentarian, is that right? Documentarian, I don't know, filmmaker, went and documented the most popular sushi restaurant in the world. It's a, mm-hmm. I think it's a three Michelin star sushi restaurant. There are 10 seats in this place. It is a, almost a year wait if you want to go there. It's about 300 bucks per person. And you end up with, I think they said about 20 pieces of fish over the couple hours you're there. Or however long. And it's each one is hand cut, hand delivered to you at the right time by Euro, the old guy. And so as you're around the table, he's preparing he's doing his thing and then he gives it to you at the right time and then you eat it and then you wander mingle talk do whatever and then the next thing he hands the next person theirs well what they did netflix decided this guy did such a great job they gave him a budget and said now go find the best chefs in the world and do the same thing it is phenomenal if you want good good cinematography and great story that sounds chef's table but there's one on a a, uh, a dessert baker lady. Mm-hmm. And one of her things, she, she <laughs> she's famous because she made some, it's a, it's a custardy, and I know there's a name I don't remember, but it, uh, there's a custardy product that she made. And to make it feel like home, she soaked <laughs> frosted flakes, I think it was frosted flakes, in milk, and then strained it out and used that milk. So Ooh. she made cereal milk and then made it with that. And she gave it to the chef she was working for. And they just freaked out. And they put that on the menu that night. And then she's now, because she had the uh, the thought, mm-hmm. what do you do? Well, the best thing in the world when you're a kid you eat cereal is the stuff left when you're done. Right. So why not make a dessert out of it? Right. And she did. And so it's it's nuts. Hmm. Um, chef's table. All right. Check it out. Noted. It, uh, I think it would be a little promo. Yeah. Uh, not a sponsor. Right. Yet. Yet. Please. <laughs> hey, Netflix <clears throat> or Masterclass. Hans Zimmer, you know what? We plugged you pretty heavy because you're a dynamite. We appreciate That's it. That's right. He doesn't care. If you ever hear this. <laughs> One of the things that they talked about One in day. that, though, is that they said, they said something interesting about people think that you can't make a big movie on an iPad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really interesting too, because I think Albert said that he talked about this a little bit when you talked to him, but 
all three of us have kind of dabbled in making videos before. Mm -hmm. And obviously we haven't really had high quality technology, <laughs> but by no means are they bad videos either. Right. Well, I, I think that he's right in the sense that to really get the scope, you can't do that. Right. There. Now, right. But then you listen, you, you watch the, um, the master class of Dead Mouse, and he knows a, doesn't know a lick of music. He can't mm -hmm. play an instrument, but he can manipulate a computer. Mm -hmm. His everything he does is on a computer. He knows rhythm. He knows all that stuff. And he knows the computer. Right. right. And so we, it's, it's, we can't be limited by no. our surroundings or and environment. It's cool to see that because you get someone like Hans who is a brilliantly trained and just a phenomenal outside thinker. And then you get someone like Deadmau5 who is not the same at all, but still producing content that arguably maybe more people enjoy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or at least the same amount, if not mm -hmm. more. Yeah. So I don't think there's a wrong answer. Right. Right? Wrong. wrong. Right? Right, wrong. wrong. Right, right, wrong. Yeah. Well, um, one last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here. Um, first of all, you guys, thanks for coming in. This is huge. Of course. Um, thank you we, for thank having you, us. Yeah, thank the, you for having us. Uh, I want you to come back whenever you guys are home and have a few minutes or a, a couple more hours. All right. Um, let's do it because I want to I want to see what your experiences are uh, in school, you know, because it's a big change. And that's kind of something I want to talk because we don't usually get people in before they're at school. So what are your expectations for college, Alex? Um, I want to, I think that it'll be interesting to have kind of more of a free, like a freer, mm -hmm. less structured mm -hmm. day. And the fact that you're kind of learning more about what it is that you actually want to learn rather than all the kind of general stuff, right. you know, more specialization. What are your uh, preconceived ideas of what campus will be like? And you can, Sean, can be thinking about that too, because I want that feel. Because now, uh, campus size, are they similar or is SDSU uh, bigger? SDSU is a decent bit bigger. Okay. Um, they don't have a dragon. That's right. <laughs> we have lots of rabbits. Um, cold the majority of the time I'm up there. Yeah, there you go. I don't I don't really know. What's enrollment numbers? Um I want to say it's like 5,000 maybe. Okay. Yeah. So may, almost double Millbank. Right. You're closer to 5 times Millbank, right? Yeah. Is that around 15,000 is that correct or is that high? I don't know. I I just know that there's a lot of, a lot of people right. in that space and I'm just ready to meet the world. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Head on. That's right. Something Perfect. different. I like it. Um, what do you, like, you guys are now, you've been in Millbank for your lives, mm -hmm. even though you weren't born here. Right. Um, Sean <laughs> drove over from Russia, so that's good. <laughs> um, A long drive. <laughs> we haven't even touched politics yet. No. <laughs> no. Speaking, speaking of Russia. No. <laughs> um. What are things that Millbank has that you guys love, like that, that have been like in the Millbank community, things that have been really, I mean, we know the theater. Oh, Let's get outside dang, the theater. Took my answer. Um, um, things that Millbank has had so far and that a little bit of forethought, what could Millbank do maybe to become a little bit more uh, sustainable? I, I love the sense of community here. The fact that 
Milbank is a giant network, but it doesn't, even though it's a giant network of itself, it doesn't shut off the network of the world. It's, it's always inviting and it's always giving out. And I've always liked that about Milbank and all the other places I've been to don't have that environment, even though they, they do invite some ideas in and they send some ideas out there more about what what others can take from them. But the thing I like about Millbank is how the community says not what others can take from them, but what they can implement in themselves from others in the same ratio as mm-hmm. others can take from them. I think you kind of started to go down this path and I'm glad that you didn't because it lets me say it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like Milbank is like a, it's like a big town in a small town body. Like it seems like it, it like wants to be more and it knows that it can be, but it's just not quite there yet. Mm. You know, like there's a lot of people that have, like big visions and it's like Milbank isn't content with just being like a typical small town. Like it seems like a lot of like smaller towns kind of get to be, they're like, Oh, we're just a small town. Not much is ever going to really come from. So here. you mean kind of like falling back on, well, we're not doing as good because we're just a small town. So right. Us right. It's almost like an excuse in some places, mm-hmm. but I feel like Milbank is, they're always kind of like looking higher and looking bigger than, we really are right all right and yeah. i like that because it seems like around the area that dreamers are here but if you have a dream you can come to millbank to begin it and the the community and the environment will will nurture whatever you want to grow here especially if it's innovative and especially in more recent times as well. Like, we've made a lot of growth towards that recently, mm-hmm, for right. sure. Especially now that the community is recognizing that, mm-hmm. that they are strong together and that they they strengthen people who come from the outside who maybe need that strength to start their innovative ideas. Yeah. I mean, look at this place. It's <laughs> well, magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to name names, but <laughs> you can name drop in here. It's fine. All right. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I appreciate you guys talking. This is great. Um, I really appreciate that you have a, at least the ability to think. And that's, that, that's huge well, because that you. is very much yeah. missing. Um, you know, if, if we're just creating drones, if that's the goal, we need factory workers to put things in boxes. Um, I don't want any part of that. Right. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you guys want to, help fix that too and i appreciate that so go get them all right thank you we will uh we will do this again without question absolutely see you next time as soon as possible yes this is the campus report where we sit down with students a student or students currently enrolled in college or going to college from Millbank high or so uh to figure out what it's like going from high school to college and what they expect and if Millbank could ever become their adult destination. Thanks a lot. This is the Campus Report.